All content on this channel is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as professional financial advice. Should you need such advice, please consult a licensed financial or tax advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of information on this channel. I think we're live and um we're live the, the tequila the, uh, is starting to hit me. intervention <laughs> the, this tequila is starting to hit me i'm a little bit I, I hope i'm not slurring my words here but um i don't usually no, that's drink. gonna be great it's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to start it yeah. sounds promising yeah it sounds promising <laughs> so what are we talking about today um <clears throat> okay this is i hate to break it to you this is not a this is not a regular podcast this is an intervention oh, okay. Oh, okay overweight tesla shares <laughs> okay okay good good i think i need one i, I need a, a huge intervention i'm, I'm open and will, um, willing and, and should, listening to learn <clears throat> we should also disclaimer the the vodka being drank is uh is not tesla or the tequila being drank is not tesla tequila although no, we both do own bottles full disclaimer yes yes that's yeah. true that's true um and they're so really we're... cool they're really really cool did you already get yours did you get your tesla tequila i did i did i, I should have sent you a picture yeah they're really cool bottles yeah it's i like i i think uh a lot of work must have been put into blowing the glass into that lightning shape because those corners and edges don't look like they should ever come from blown glass. Right? Like it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's just a really beautiful like I don't want to drink it because it's so cool looking. I know. I, but I, I was will. gonna I, yeah, I was gonna um I was gonna drink some for tonight's episode, but um, you know, Michelle it, because of her hoarding tendencies told me to drink other tequila. So now I'm drinking other tequila. But if this episode goes on long enough and I run out of tequila, I might just open the uh, the Tesla tequila. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, wishful thinking. Well, we'll see. We should we should also preface this is this is the darling stock. I mean, this is one I'm worried this podcast is going to run long, uh, so I want to I want to try to be as tight on an agenda as we can. But this is That's a company both of us have looked at many times at least for me over the past i guess four years three four years and for you much longer than that so um i, I would break it into a few sections let's preface here mm. let's cover what tesla is because yes. they have a couple different business units um let's cover i think what makes them special is probably a good place to start obviously the price looks crazy the valuations look crazy any comparisons or, or comps in this in any of these sectors that they're in look crazy so yeah. let's talk about what actually makes them special and unique and extra valuable. Uh, we can dig into some of the things that maybe, you know, what's not to like about the stock. I think there's a couple things mm -hmm. there. And then we should probably talk about the valuation. Uh, and sure. I know I've seen some of your work on this. I'm, I'm going to let you do some of that. But I, I've seen a couple of things online that I thought were interesting. And I, I worked backwards with some price, um, share price work. So sure. uh, obviously, it's a polarizing stock. Um, a lot of people yeah. love it. A lot of people hate it. Uh, it's got a very mercurial CEO uh, with Elon Musk, who 
uh, just bought, you know, one and a half billion dollars of Bitcoin on the Tesla balance sheet, which again <laughs> makes it hard to value <laughs> what they're doing. And, oh, and then he gets on TV and pushes Dogecoin. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah hard exactly. to know what he's doing or or why he's doing things. But you've got an interesting, dynamic, mercurial CEO, a very polarizing stock. Uh, ironically, the chunk, the main chunk of its business is in a pretty old and stodgy world in automotive. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start, let's start with what they do. So Tesla has two main business units as far as, uh, revenue is concerned right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the automotive piece. Obviously you see those on the road. They're really cool cars. Um, and a couple terms there, they're in the EV market. That's the electric vehicle. Um, obviously the cars charge, which is different than putting gasoline in them. Uh, and they're trying to capture the, um, FSD market, which is fully self-driving. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really where you get autonomous vehicles. So th- those are the kind of uh, acronyms you need to know for that space, but they make cars, they sell services or they, they, they sell cars as well. They service cars. They have a used car marketplace. You can buy and trade and sell. It's 94% of their total revenue coming out of the automotive sector. Right. The other piece of the business is energy. Um, and that's solar essentially, uh, which they'll, they'll panel up your roof and storage, uh, which is their power wall. Yeah. I think it's branded as power wall. Yep. Um, so they design, they manufacture, they install and lease, uh, solar energy gen and energy storage products. And that's the other 6% of revenue. Um, everything I can see on the energy side, it's basically like you can't get a power wall. They're just, they, they can't, they can't make them fast enough. Uh, yeah, I was reading the Q1 for report. That, for a while. Yeah, they basically they only they only they only deliver Powerwall to their solar existing solar customers. So right. like if they open that up as a standalone product, you know that's awesome. And there's a big trend there, right? So it said there, you know, uh, blackout events continue. You know, like recent snowstorm in Texas and other blackout events continue to drive customers towards home energy storage solutions. I agree with that 100. percent So yeah. I, I love the I'm, market for that. They just can't I'm going to be building fast enough. I'm probably going to be putting um, solar panels and power walls into my house as well. So we're going to do a renovation. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's a good idea. Uh, and then the solar piece, you know, they they had a strong quarter, I guess. Uh, solar roof deployments grew 9x compared to the same period last year. I think the trend is people are trying to do renewable. Uh, if you're going to get solar, why wouldn't you get Tesla solar? They make great stuff. And the power wall is very cool. So those are the two main components of the business uh, that make up, you know, between the two of them, 100% of the revenue. There's some other stuff in there that we can dig into, but I'll kick it to you. How do you see Tesla? Um, in terms of their businesses right now? and like where, Yeah, where because they do have other stuff they're working on, right? And, and this will tie into how we compare it and value it. But yeah. How, um, how do you see the business? Well, I, I agree with you that the majority of the revenues is going to end up being in the automotive business. They sell currently four models of cars, the S, the X, the 3, and the Y. Um, of those four models, the 3 and the Y are by far in terms of units delivered um, and also the revenue that they produce, um, the majority of, the vast majority actually of Tesla's auto revenues. Um, the three has just, since it was introduced in 2018, like totally kicked ass, not just in the US, but also in China um, and also in Europe. And the why is gonna make the three look like it's, uh, an underperforming car. 
because the Y is probably going to outsell the three by, by four to one, that kind of ratio. And the S and the X, which used to dominate, you know, the unit deliveries um, and, um, you know, what the, the subsequent stock performance of the, the, of the, the company in past years now are just like if you look at what they're doing in terms of the unit deliveries and also revenues it's really just a footnote at this point and i can't believe that the s and x are not that important to tesla anymore but if you look at where they're at in the auto business yeah everything is determined by the sales of the, the three and the y and it kind of makes sense because it when people have done studies of um auto businesses before um uh, what they found was that every time you drop the price of a car by $10,000, um, you double or sometimes even triple the available market in the segment. Um, and the three and the Y represent huge drops in price with respect to uh, the S and the X. And so they should have huge markets um, and there will continue to be huge markets for the, uh, the three and the Y for the foreseeable future. Um, so I see that's where I'm seeing in the, um, the auto business, um, separately, what Tesla does is, uh, every car is equipped with the ability, the hardware ability to, um, have autopilot and customers have the ability to choose an option to purchase, um, full self-driving and, um, the right now, full self-driving is a $10,000 option. And so it actually has a fairly low take rate. Um, I think 20% of US customers um, uh, opt to purchase that in, that, that, that option. Um, and uh, I think the big hinge for Tesla in the future will be whether or not the price for FSD will increase, um, whether or not it's gonna come into a subscription model, um, and also whether or not the take rate will go up. Um, and I think right now, the reason why the take rate isn't as high for FSD is because they haven't delivered um, FSD um, version nine, which is the full complete FSD that includes automation on city streets. And so, mm -hmm. and for free, when you buy the car, you already get basic autopilot features, which includes, um, you know, driving on the highway with the steering controlled by the car and also acceleration and braking um, controlled by the car. And for most people, that's already mind blowing. Like it is already mind blowingly good. And it's included in the car for free. So they don't understand, like a lot of people just don't say, well, I don't wanna spend $10,000 for all of these extra features that get added for the FSD right now, especially since the city streets um, version is not yet um, available for us to, for us to like continue to have our minds blown, right? So I think that the that's one thing that I see in the auto business. And then, as you said, the, on the other side, they have this. Um, what I would say is, if you look at the ref financials, um, a slightly unprofitable business, um, which is growing rapidly. It is the um, the energy business, and as you said, that business is all about. Um, deploying integrated solar and batteries to homeowners. Um, and it, the nice thing about it is that the battery and the solar are very well integrated into the app that you get on your phone when you buy a Tesla car in the first place. So you can kind of see, 
a lot of neat integration between, you know, when, and a lot of smart features between, you know, when the batteries will charge, how it, you know, deploys energy to the, to your car, if you have a Tesla car, um, and uh, the ability to do um, interesting things like top up the battery with extra juice um, during hours when um, the, 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 uh, the, the, the sun is shining and then deploy that energy when the prices for electricity is, is going to be high. So uh, there's going to be, I think, a lot more growth in that business in the future. Um, when I do my long-term thinking on where Tesla is, I sometimes forget about the energy business just because it hasn't been like a big portion of the revenue. Um, and also it hasn't been delivering um, cash flow in the sense that it hasn't been profitable because in this in this high growth mode. But eventually, you know, if you look far enough into the future, like five, six, maybe eight years into the future, um, the energy business has the potential, especially with like lithium iron phosphate batteries um, for stationary storage um, and also continuing um, cost reductions in the cost of photovoltaic solar at their Buffalo plant. Um, it has the potential to be nearly the size or maybe even slightly larger revenue wise um, as, as the auto business. Um, and so if they can achieve that vision, there's a lot of growth ahead for Tesla energy. Yeah. So those are the yeah. big parts. I mean, if you, if you read what, what Musk says about uh, the energy business, he's, you know, obviously uh, I think the quote was, there's a high degree of uncertainty but he expects roughly similar revenue to Tesla Auto. Yeah, which uh, would be insane. <laughs> and just whatever yeah. valuation you have on the auto business, just double it. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like the energy side is projected to catch up to the auto business. What? Why? Because the auto business is staying still and being flat in terms right. of its revenues. That the auto business is like a wild stallion running free on the American plains. It is growing at 50% per year. So, and will do so, is projected to do so for the next 10 years. So that thing is, yeah, is nuts, like bonkers revenue growth. Um, and the energy side, like what, you know, if, if Elon Musk's predictions are correct, we'll have to run faster than a 50% clip in order to be able to reach parity yeah with the, uh, the auto business. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And, um, and again, as, as I'm sure we'll try to value the business, uh, it's, it's hard to, you know, cause it's basically two different businesses there. Um, you know, how, how do you, what multiple do you put on an energy company instead of an automotive company versus a data or AI company? Right. Um, and that, that's where things get tricky and that's why the valuation always scares people or the, the share price scares people. Um, yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think I'm excited to see how they're going to do that, but it is it is crazy. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about just like if you switch back to thinking about the auto business um, and you just think about like what kind of a monster it, it, it is in the first place, it's growing at 50% per year. And, you know, there are software companies where if it's growing 50% per year, you're impressed. Like if... I don't know. Um, I, I'm just saying, like, just throwing it out there. Slack is growing 50% per year. I'd be like, oh, that's great. 
you know, Uber's growing 50% per year, which isn't quite like a software business, right? It's services with cars or whatever, and drivers. Mm -hmm. But if it's growing 50% per year, I'm like, thumbs up, good for you. Um, mm -hmm. Now, but what they're doing is they're growing 50% per year in a stodgy business where you have to like move uh, like one ton pieces of metal and like bend atoms together and stamp them, you know? And like, if you think about like the sheer amount of effort that it takes organizationally to grow an auto business 50% per year, it's, it will boggle your mind to think like, how in the hell are they accomplishing this? It's absolutely nuts for them to be growing yeah. at this rate where it's not like it's a software sale that you could just deliver digitally. Like there, it's easy to grow 50% per year. And it's actually pretty fucking impressive that a software company is growing at 50% mm -hmm. per year. But making cars and then sh bending metal and fashioning it together into a cohesive piece and then shipping it out to customers. I mean, it, the, the guys redesigned the factory. <laughs> he has, you know, yeah. it's the paradigm changing in every facet. I, and I, automotive, especially with all the dealers and the backhanded deals and everything you need to do to sell in that space, it's tough. Yeah. And, you know, I, we said something similar with Palantir selling yeah. it to government. If they've mastered government, you know, how much easier is it going to be for them to go to commercial? Very strong case for, for Palantir in that sense. Here, right. too, if they can master the automotive sale, manufacture and sale. Mm -hmm. uh, and, so, and service, by the way, they're also servicing those cars. I mean, yep. Why couldn't they, why couldn't they do anything else? Yeah, That's no, the this is like yeah, doing that in automotive is like doing it on super hard mode, like playing the video game on like the hardest possible setting, and then dialing it up to level eleven, and then crushing it. Yeah, and mind you, they don't do any advertising. There is like no mm -hmm. advertising spend for this company. It's just wow. all word of mouth from rabid fans of the company. Um, and to be honest, yeah. like and before yeah, Elon sorry, Musk, like like before anybody accuses me of being an Elon Musk fanboy, like Elon Musk himself is not enough for me to like love this company. The car is like the fact that I enjoy my car. Like I have an S and an and a and a Model Three. The fact that like four years after buying my car. It's not old. It's actually better. Like it keeps getting better every year that I own it. And that I still enjoy getting into my car every single day and driving it. It brings me a lot of joy. Like I've never had a purchase of some sort of like consumer electronics or any sort of item that's been like that. Even iPhones, you kind of get tired of after a while and you want to upgrade to the next model, right? Like like the S, I love it. Like it is such a good car. And that's why I'm a fan of this company. Um, and what I was gonna say is also like on the theme of playing the video game on super hard mode, I wanna also just point out that besides growing 50% per year in a stodgy industry where you literally have to bend metal in order to make more money and also doing it this, this thing with zero advertising, I also want to point out that for most of Tesla's life, 
it has been manufacturing its cars out of a single factory in California, which I, I live in California. I love California, but I'm going to tell you, it's a hellhole for manufacturers. It's literally, and it's like near the set, they're, they're, they're making cars in Fremont, which is not far from San Francisco, right? A densely populated urban area. It's like the worst possible place for you to think about building a car company and a factory. Like you can't expand because all the land around you is locked you in. It's there's a million tons of traffic all the time. So you can't get logistics in and out of your uh, building. Your labor, you know, costs you a lot of money because Californians need to have a living wage and like literally, you know, wages are higher in California. And there are a lot of regulations that make it more expensive for um, a manufacturing facility to operate in California just because there's a lot of regulation. And so, and they're doing it off of a, a hand-me-down factory, the Numi factory in Fremont, which used to be, which they bought for a song and a penny, like after the 2008 financial crisis. Um, it used to be operated by, um, I think, GM and Toyota in like a joint production facility. Um, and they were like, we don't, we don't want to manufacture in California anymore. And the economy has been a bust. So we want to get rid of this factory. And basically Tesla took over that factory, which was built for a completely different purpose and kind of like has built this hodgepodge, like Frankenstein piece together um, assembly lines um, to try to push out as many cars as they can in this highly inefficient, like super non-productive, hostile to manufacturing location, like for all of their life, they've been trying to manufacture it literally the worst place for them to manufacture. And like 10 years ago, you'd have told me, oh, uh, I wanna start a, a car company in California and hire California workers to build cars. I'd be like, you've got to be out of your mind. There's no way you'll ever make a profit. Labor costs will kill you. Um, so anyway, I want, I, when I say they've been operating in hard mode, like, like I can't even express really how hard hard mode has been. It has been, everything has been stacked against them. And yet they managed to grow 50% per year, which is like completely fantastic. It is like beyond... My, it like blows my mind every time I think about it. So um, I, I view their automotive business as basically this caged beast that's been in a cage and it's grown too big for its cage. And there are all these like villagers with sharp sticks, like just poking the, the animal while it's trapped in its cage. But they don't realize that it grows stronger every day. And eventually it's gonna bust out of its cage. And what it does, it's just gonna go like crazy on everybody. And that's, I think what's about to happen <laughs> because- Seriously optimism, I'm waiting for it. I mean, I'm trying to hold you down. <laughs> well, because, well, because they've been, you know, they've been operating out of this Fremont facility for years. And um, we finally got a taste of like, what would happen when um, the cage like starts to weaken because Tesla was able to open its second factory um, in Shanghai to produce Model 3 and Model Y. And that's when the stock 
like once the, the people realized that, oh, Tesla can build a factory in less than a year in China and then get its Model 3 ramped in a few months, like that's crazy. That's crazy fast speed. That's like, that's like- Did you see the photos, the Gigafactory photos on the Q1? I watch, I watch YouTube videos every week, monitoring <laughs> factory progress. So yeah, yeah, I've seen these pictures, yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. And you know, the stock multiplied by 6x once people started realizing that like, you know, uh, Elon time wasn't actually Elon time, like Shanghai time for Tesla is bonkers. And their ability to ramp up the three and the Y has been in this like facility that they finally get to design from scratch perfectly for their own purposes, right? Like rather than taking over mm. and me down. Uh, factory in a terrible manufacturing environment in California. Now they get like a purpose-built factory in Shanghai and they just crush it. They just, they're crushing it. Like why is still ramping in Shanghai? It's like going up 70% year over year in terms of production. And um, so Shanghai is not yet done with its build out. It's gonna still expand. And, you know, there's two more factories um, waiting in the wings. Um, there's a gigafactory that's being built in Austin right now. And I think they started in June, 2020. And in 340 something days of work on it, they have made a lot of progress, including, you know, putting the roofs on, putting the walls on um, and moving in their like stamping presses and their uh, giga, giga, giga presses there. Um, so they're starting to like, you know, put in the assembly lines um, because they're in a rush to get Austin done. And then the second other gigafactory that they have waiting in the wings is the Berlin gigafactory, which um, started around the same time that the Texas gigafactory did. And um, they're also in a stage where, you know, the walls are built, the roof is on, and they are... Um, they, they've got the paint facility in there and they're also testing the uh, the giga the giga presses as well. So you know like the like the visualization in my mind is an angry beast that's been trapped in his cage being poked by sticks and then like you know you finally will be able to see what this beast will do when it breaks out of its cage and it's really pissed off like it's like about to go crazy. Yeah, but that's the interesting piece, right? Like we're assuming that they can continue to, you know, if production increases and, and consumers will continue to buy, there is competition. Yeah. And at a value standpoint, again, then I'm not taking a bearish case. I'm just taking the, uh, you know, it, it, since we're delving into that, it, it, the market cap, right? The market value, Tesla, I don't know what it's at right now, 600 it's something billion 600 for billion, Tesla yeah. auto. Yeah. Yeah, give or take, I don't know, it fluctuates. Mm -hmm. That is more than all of the world's largest automakers combined. Right. If you take Ford, Honda, BMW, GM, uh, Daimler, Volkswagen, and Toyota, it's $587 billion. Yeah. And yeah. those guys are generating a trillion dollars of revenue between all of them. So, yeah. you know, that, that leads to the case, I guess, the Gigafactory and production, and they're ramping and scaling, and they can make cars faster, and they make better cars. And, it still doesn't mean every single person on the planet is going to want one. And it also doesn't mean that they can, you know, to your point about the take on some of the upsell, 
the, the fully self-driving piece is, is what's going to separate them from any other EV car. And if, if only 20% of your buyers are willing to make that upgrade, at least right now, you know, it's a tough case to make to say that, you know, that, that Tesla is worth more at, at just the automotive piece is worth more than, you know, all the other automakers combined. Right. I mean, you could see where that could be a, uh, no, I've, heard, pause, right? I, I've heard of that argument a lot of times. And I think like the, that, um, <laughs> the phrase comes to mind that comparison is the thief of joy. Um, but <laughs> I, I think that, it, I, I think it's a simplistic analysis at the end of the day. Um, and it doesn't account um, what I would call the complex dynamics of competition. And um, sure, I agree with you. Like those numbers are correct. Like Tesla is valued more than uh, than than the aggregate of let's say uh, a lot of the car manufacturers that currently exist. Um, but you know, like Tesla is purpose built. It is a purpose built company that is wholly focused on only doing EVs, not ICE cars ninety percent and EVs. 1% or 5% or 3%. I'm talking about like purpose built, like 100% like dagger to the throat of uh, combustion vehicles. Like it, it is like literally purpose built for only EVs. And you're gonna say, well, that's not important because you know, Volkswagen is planning to invest a lot of money in growing its electric vehicle share. And I think maybe Mercedes and BMW will finally get their heads out of the sand and try to invest money. Mm -hmm. And GM and Ford have been making a lot of noises about, you know, getting into electric vehicles and showing you these like fancy PowerPoint presentations about their future plans to get into the EV space. But let me tell you something here. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit because you can't make EVs without batteries. And nobody's got any plans, any credible plans to make batteries except for Tesla. And you're going to say, your, well, your, your buddy, you can, the BYD. Well, yeah, B, China is a different story. Like, but like China probably has the only credible competition but, uh, to, to Tesla in the future with respect to battery capacity. But all these like um, old line auto manufacturers in the US and in Europe, they basically are like cosplaying at being EV manufacturers. But if you say, okay, you know, the talk is good, but let me see what your plans are. Like, what are you doing to build factories or secure battery supply? You know what their plans are? Their plans are stupid things like, we're gonna buy it from the Chinese. We're gonna buy batteries from the Chinese suppliers. That's a good plan until you start ramping up because these guys are going to squeeze your nuts for batteries and you're not going to get supply. <laughs> and guess what? You know what Tesla's plan is too? Tesla's plan is we're going to buy from the Chinese companies. And you know, when you're a supplier and you think, should I sell batteries to Volkswagen or should I sell to Tesla, right? And Tesla's got a credible thing where they're always going to want batteries and they'll like they, they will want to like hoover up as many batteries as possible. Some portion of supply is gonna be taken away by Tesla itself. And now you got the rest of these people trying to fight for scraps from the Chinese and the Korean suppliers for batteries. They're gonna, those bad, like what you're doing is you're just 
hoping that somebody else will solve your problem. Like the, the American companies and then the, the European car manufacturers, they're literally just saying that in the future, we will be able to buy enough batteries from the Koreans and the Chinese so that we will magically have enough supply to complete, compete with Tesla. Now you switch it around, you listen to what Tesla is doing. Tesla saying, look, we are planning, we are currently making 100 gigawatt hours of batteries today ourselves with our partner Panasonic. And in order for us to achieve the operational plans that we need by 2030, so roughly 10 years from now, we need three terawatt hours of battery supply. And so if you think about that, like 100 gigawatt hours to three terawatt hours, that's like 30 times what they make today. And I think what they make today is roughly half, maybe 40% of the world's supply of batteries already that they make themselves. They don't buy it from anybody, they make it themselves. And they're saying like, okay, we make this, we are like the, the, we are like the big gorilla in battery manufacturing and we still don't have enough batteries. We need, <laughs> we are planning to buy as many batteries as possible from all global suppliers, in addition to manufacturing batteries for ourselves. And we are intending to do this for the foreseeable future. And our goal yeah. is to get to three terawatt hours. Meanwhile, I look at GM's plans and you know what their CEO said? We're gonna get to hopefully 30 gigawatt hours in 2026. 30 gigawatt hours in 2026. 2026, Tesla today makes three times that much. They were making three mm -hmm. 30 gigawatt hours four years ago. Where are you guys? You talk to me about competition, it is cosplay. It is a fantasy. It is pretending. What these CEOs are doing is they're trying to kick the can down the road long enough for somebody else to deal with the problem. Their successor will ultimately deal with the problem. And what they're hoping to do today is to mollify their worried investor base long enough to keep the stock price up so that way they can get, they can hit their compensation targets. And in a couple of years, golden parachute out of that company. And then the real problems will be dealt with by somebody else, not them. They're all pretending. So you talk to me about competition and I tell you, let's look at the batteries. They <laughs> got, and then not to mention BMW's plan is we will invent we, solid state battery manufacturing. And in eight years from now, we will catch up and surpass Tesla with our magical technology. <laughs> That's ridiculous, you know? I'm gonna tell you, Tesla like has partnered and has ties to all of the world's like leading battery manufacturers, including solid state battery manufacturers. And despite all of that intensive research has decided that the most practical course would be to continue with the lithium iron, the lithium phosphate um, paradigm because it is the most economical um, energy dense, um, scalable technology that exists.
So um, BMW is basically basing its betting its company um, EV future on um, some sort of like magical fairy technology that they hope would will happen. That doesn't give me a lot of confidence, to be honest. And um, are you, in addition to owning a massive amount of Tesla shares, are you also shorting all of the other automotive? You know, I thought about that, but uh, I'd rather just buy Tesla. I think that uh, <laughs> you, you like it just like shorting, like doesn't even, it, it just feels so wrong <laughs> in my mind that like, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to participate in it. Um, that and also it's all financially dangerous um, and costly. Um, so yeah, no, I just rather bet on the horse that I think will win rather than um, bet on the horses that I think will not win. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, you bring up the competition and I, I just don't even really think that it, it, from the fundamental perspective of like, are you gonna be able to make the cars in the first place, the volumes that you're thinking about? I don't even think that anybody has credible plans to, to do this. And if they do, it's like, you look at the presentations, they're like five or six, seven years away. Like I see crazy stuff like BMW plans to have 20% of its cars be battery, battery electric in 2040. And that, that just speaks to me that like these guys, they have no idea like that there's a storm coming. Or if they do, they're all pretending that it's not there. And they're just being intentionally obtuse about where the world is heading towards. And you know, people like that, they get swept away in the storm. You gotta bunker down and make some plans. You can't just pretend reality ain't gonna hit you in the face. That is nuts, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the whole competition component is a red herring, I think, right? The, the market is big enough to support multiple players. So the fact yeah. that Tesla, it, right? Like a competition in the automotive space for Tesla is 100% irrelevant. I agree yeah. with you. There's interesting stuff to talk about with batteries, but mm -hmm. you know, what did I look up? By 2025, the EV sales in the U.S. alone are expected to reach seven million. I think yeah. Tesla sold 500,000 vehicles in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, did. Yeah, look, there's plenty of space, right? Yeah, it's growing market. market. And, yeah. and if you, yeah, and if you agree that EV is the future which uh, you'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't think so other than CEOs waiting for golden parachutes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you have a, you have a massive, uh, massive market opportunity for them. And it's still early for Tesla. They're not, you know, they're not as established as these other companies that have been in market forever. So, you know, the other, the other component around, uh, you know, revenue and valuation, oh, they're not profitable. They're barely profitable. If there's not for the carbon emissions credits and the Bitcoin and everything else, they're not making money also irrelevant right at least yeah, in the short and, term and it, that's it doesn't actually matter at all it's not just irrelevant it's also not true the um the if you look at the lot so the argument that you were presenting there was that um, a lot of people will say tesla is not profitable based on the results of let's say uh the last quarter right q1 2021 um and they say okay the reason why was because if you back out um the extra money they made for um, um EV credits for making electric cars mm -hmm. um, and you back out the 100 million profit that they made selling some Bitcoin part of their Bitcoin position that it they wouldn't be profitable but um, one of the things that 
uh, like I think is very interesting about that line of argument is that it cherry picks two things there. But if you're going to cherry pick those two things, let's talk about another thing, which is that the expenses, like the thing, the thing that was making them unprofitable, that you're not backing out right now by backing out those two things. Um, one of the things that you're not backing out is the roughly 600 million in um, shares based shares based compensation expense that Tesla had in the first quarter of 2021. Um, that dwarfs the whole the effect of that expense dwarfs anything you're talking about with respect to EV credits um, and also the um, hundred mil that they made. Uh, that they booked selling Bitcoin. So why are you going to take those two and then forget about the share space comp? Because the share space comp in a, is a, fict it's a fictitious expense in the sense that there's really no cash expense. It's just this loss that you record as a company when you talk about issuing shares to Elon Musk because he's hit the targets in his compensation plan that was laid out four years ago. So as you issue those options to him under that compensation plan, you have to value the quote unquote cost of those options as an expense to the company, but there's no cash being moved. In fact, actually, when Elon Musk wants to finally exercise those options, he has to give money to the company. He has to give personal money to the company to exercise those options. So it's a net future cash flow basically to the company, but it has to be because of accounting rules, expenses a 600 million expense. So, you know, people say yeah. it's not profitable, but if you really want to back out all of the non-cash expenses, you'll see that they made over $1 billion last quarter. So the run rates like four to $5 billion. But people don't want to do that because yeah. they want to cherry pick only the worst things about it. And also, like, yeah, like, yeah. what am I going to say? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, the, the, like, of the things that we were just debating about, the, um, the, the, the EV credit, like, like, that's an actual cash thing. So, like, the share space compensation that I'm talking about, it's like this imaginary thing that you have to do because gap says so like the accountant says so but if there's no cash being moved for the 600 million dollar charge for shares based comp like the ev credit that people want to back out it's straight up cash like it is like mm. it is a check that with money that goes into your bank account like it's actual money and you want to back that one out but you don't want to back out like the non cash charge 600 million cash uh, 600 million expense I mean, that seems like a little bit of like mm, double-sided thinking uh, in my mind. Um, and what I was yeah. going to say about that is that that EV credit, if you think about how much it's been, if you sum it up over the last six quarters, it's been enough to pay for the Berlin Gigafactory. And people are going to be saying like, oh, it doesn't count. But literally it paid for a Gigafactory. Your competitors, because, <laughs> because they haven't, been organizationally able to per, like deliver electric cars that people want now are paying you hard cash so you could buy a factory to make more cars and people are like saying that doesn't count 
I think it does count. I would like my neighbors <laughs> to pay my mortgage. Like, and I don't care if people think that it doesn't count if there's some sort of law that now my neighbors need to pay my mortgage. I'm just happy to take the money. I am totally happy to take the money. And it is the yeah, height look, it's, it's in, of incentivization working at, at, in a perfect clip. It is. It's you the want to incentivize EVs? Then, yeah, totally. Totally. Um, no, I agree. I, I, and I'm trying as hard as I can to find areas to poke at in the company, right? Those are probably the most common criticisms, right? One is the valuation is absurd in the car market, which I think we already agreed doesn't matter. The mm -hmm. second is they don't really make any money. It's just, they're not profitable. It's like the, everyone's favorite argument. Um, they're going to be, they, I mean, they're, they're already, I think to your math, profitable. They're going to be wildly profitable. Yeah. They, they've got so much it's automation built into what they're doing. Yeah. It's just their margins are going to get better and better. And the yeah. cars are going to get more and more valuable because like, once you have full F, you know, full FSD built into it, maybe it's not $10,000. Maybe it's $15,000 because nobody else can do it. Exactly. And I mean, maybe like, your adoption goes up to 50% or 60% because it works and it's much, much safer. Right. The crazy thing like on that FSD thing is that first $10,000 for that option, like the average sale price for a Tesla car is $50,000. Um, 10,000 and 50,000 is, um, what is that? 10%, 20%. Am I doing my math? 20 right? 20%. Gil, if you can't do that math, yeah, how much I can't do I, I've had, I've had too much tequila. It's 20%. Dude, the right, right now, the um the automotive margins on Tesla gross 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 margins are twenty six percent. If you add another twenty percent to that, that's forty percent, like forty six percent. Crazy margins, impossible margins. Cars don't make fifty percent margins. That's that's like Palantir software style margins. That's nuts. And the reason why FSD doesn't move the needle too much right now is number one there is a low take rate. Um, so only 20% of people will take it. Um, and number two, um, the there is an accounting rule that says that even if somebody buys FSD, you can't count FSD um, fully as revenue. So of the $10,000 that you receive, only 50% of that gets booked as revenue. The other 50% gets booked as a liability. It is something that you owe why? the customer. The reason why is because mm. what you're paying for is the full FSD package of which some things have yet to be delivered, like the city streets automation, autom automatic driving that's supposed mm. to be coming out with version nine. Because they haven't delivered that portion of FSD, the accounting rules say that you can only chart like book to revenue half of the FSD that you get. So it looks like nothing on the financial statements. Meanwhile, even though it looks like nothing on the financial statements, like if you give them $10,000, literally they get $10,000. It's just the accounting rules. Yeah, and what's also crazy, every single car since 2016 can be retrofit with FSD. Exactly. So all you have to do is create the capability, turn the lights on, and yep. boom, you just free cash flowing into the business. Exactly. No, and like 
like the yeah that's exactly it you you hit like something that like really excites me there there's like a pool of 1 million um cars now that are on the road let's say 20% of them don't have fsd uh, these are have fsd 80% yeah, of them 80%. don't have fsd so that's roughly 800,000 and what's 800,000 times 10,000 i can't do this math at this point 800, one, two, three, <laughs> times 10, one, two, three. There's a lot of zeros, okay? Too many zeros for me to count at this point because I'm drunk. The, that's, it's a lot of money. If every single one of those owners is so mind blown by what they release with um, auto uh, driving with city streets in FSD9, they're gonna just go onto their little phone, pull up the Tesla app and buy it right from their phones. And then- 100%. And then it's just going to download uh, the software. And then 30 minutes later, it now has new capabilities. And $10,000 goes straight to Tesla from your credit card. There, it's all mm. there. And all then, you know, Beautiful. like what if Tesla in next year is making over a million, call, uh, a million cars every year? And the take rate on that is greater than 20% and they get revenue recognition because they've delivered the full functionality of FSD. Like people don't understand the accounting rules in here that are holding Tesla down and how much like latent profit potential there is in the existing pool of cars and in the growing yearly uh, volume numbers for their cars. Every single car has this capability. And it represents a $10,000 sale that could be made at the time you buy it or later. And I'm going to, yeah. I'm also going to say, what are the margins on this near 100%? It costs them nothing to deliver a $10,000 piece of software. Literally, you download it. You download it. And they're and not going to, they're not going to have to market it. They're not going to have to support it. You know, you're not talking about, um, nope. you know, uh, yeah, I, it's, I mean, they will support incredible. it in the sense that they'll, they'll, they're going to do continuing, like, uh, continuous improvements on it so that you get updates every yeah, but they, week. To so be honest, that, that to me, that's more potential, more potential of things. To, I mean, you, there's more stuff you can sell in there. There's, yeah. there's just more everything. And that's, that's kind of the key for me when I look at this is, up until now and, and until, you know, uh, nine, right, fully autonomous city driving, mm -hmm. everything's about building their ecosystem. It's not about profit or margins or competition yeah. or what sector they're in. Nope. It's just building this ecosystem yep. that the more cars on the road, the more Tesla's on the road, you know, the price point is reasonable. But when you're staring at, oh, my God, I can upgrade my car. You, you said your car still feels like new from yes. however many years ago you bought it. Yes. Like imagine if you can just, imagine if you could download the iPhone 10 or 12 or whatever they're up to uh, wirelessly. I mean, that, that's kind of what it is. You're getting the new operating system. You yeah. don't need the new hardware and the hardware is already beautiful. Like, yeah. it, and if you want to buy a new car, of course you can always buy a new car, but the whole focus for Tesla up in, until that is complete is building this ecosystem. Yep. And the ecosystem has massive advantages around data. And I think, Yep. Maybe different to you, 
the first place I went is not to the batteries and the, the components, which I do think is a super interesting discussion. I also own some BYD, thanks to you, many years ago. Yep. Um, but I, yeah. I think the interesting piece, great company. And if you want to hedge a little bit um, in terms of battery, uh, I think they're probably the only other player I would look at, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But um, if you want to look at the other side of it, to me, it's data. What are they What are they getting from this ecosystem, right? And and yep. they're the only ones that that also seem to be you know seeing the world that way. And the, the closest I can think of is is the Google's Waymo, uh, which I was reading about last week, and I listened to a podcast about you know like a test drive or whatever. Tesla, just by comparison, has collected three billion miles of data, which yep. is 150 times more than the data collected by Waymo. And Google, you know, Alphabet is a data company. So yeah. this is a data play at the end of the day. And if you look at the data they're getting from the roads around making the cars run well and efficiently and safely, the user and driver data, they're miles ahead of anyone else. And you can't, this isn't something you can just catch up in. It's yeah. like saying, you know, it's like saying that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get more customer preference information than Amazon. We're gonna yeah. get more, you know, personal shopping interest than Google. It's like, no, you're not. You can't. Yeah. It's insurmountable at this point. Yeah. So I, I think I think Tesla's done that in auto and they've done it aggressively. It's just yes. this huge ecosystem they've built and it's built around data. And yeah. I love that story because now, again, we, we should probably pivot. Again, I'm, I'm concerned this is going to be the longest podcast in the history of our short-lived uh, we'll short history. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, I, we're going to have to pivot into the valuation of the business, which is always complicated. But I do think when you pivot, the key is how you see Tesla. If you look at Tesla as an automotive company, you can still make a very compelling argument like we just did about how valuable it is and why the competition and comps and evaluation are kind of irrelevant here, right? Because yeah. they're building something different. But if you look at them as an ecosystem play, I almost look at it as a couple things. One, this sounds a lot more like a software company, right? It is. A lot more it like is. a software company, which, you know, that's th not a hardware car company. It's a software growth company. And that yeah. gives you a little bit of comfort um, if you wanted to do like what multiple to look at. And the other thing, you know, I heard, I heard Musk say, you know, he considers Tesla like a string of a dozen different startups, right? Yeah. Yes. I love that too. I mean, we're not even talking about nascent businesses inside of Tesla that don't generate revenue. There's a lot of stuff in there. I was reading, I, I didn't even know, you know, this Dojo thing. Did you look into this at all? Oh, I know, I know about Dojo. Tangent. I talked to you about Dojo. I mean, that, that in, if you told me Dojo was a startup in, you know, in, in a supercomputer startup coming yeah. out of Silicon Valley, yeah, with you a you know, well-capitalized, yeah, I'm in it, yeah, I'm yeah, in it, yeah, yeah. I'm in it, <laughs> you know, when they're IBM building, they want to borrow it. You know, they're, they're <laughs> the, the, the Dojo supercomputer, which is going to be used to train the Tesla AI, like the neural net that will know how to drive, um, to accelerate that training. Like their pilot project is the fourth largest supercomputer in the world. That's the pilot it's for insane. Dojo. And you know what? They're it spending is, a lot it, of it money. Crazy. They're spending a lot of money on that hardware. And it's like baked into the expenses of the company. And it makes them look unprofitable. But this is a completely discretionary spend. And they are doing not what I would call a slow march, but I would say a stealthy march to the end game of autonomy. And the market completely does not understand what they're doing. And I love it. No. I fucking love I it. I love it.
I like, I just get so so excited by hidden value. Yeah. Nobody understands what they're doing. They're just stealing a march on everybody. And all these news articles are making it seem like they're behind Waymo. Guess what? It's the complete opposite. They're far ahead. And in my mind, which might be addled by tequila or completely crazy, but in my mind, the game is already over. The flywheel of data collection is so far ahead of any other company that nobody can ever hope to match it. It's insane what they've built. It's exactly it. You cannot cannot catch up. The crazy thing is they convinced people like me who are not car people to pay lots of money for an expensive car um, and a software feature that has not yet been fully delivered because I paid for FSD on both of my cars. Um, of course so did. that so that I could go drive around and collect more data for them. I am doing work for Tesla every time mm-hmm. I drive my car and I'm gladly doing it. And nobody else <laughs> understands. Nobody else understands there's like a million drivers out there right now driving every day, living their little lives, and their little cars are basically these like data centers collecting very, very valuable gold extracted from all around them. And that gold is data. And that data will make Tesla the most valuable company in the world. And it is a a march and it is not a slow march. It looks like a slow march because it looks like they took the slow route and it looks like they're behind. But the optics of whether or not you look like you're in first or whether or not you look like you're in last place, the optics don't matter. What matters is cold, hard, reality and the game is already over it's done yeah nobody else is going to catch up to this they're like the google of the of the internet age of the of the machine learning age they yeah. are going to solve i think i think if you if i driving. told you you yeah i mean you're in auto and energy you're 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 nascently in supercomputing you're in ai you're in machine vision They've got this VTOL engineering stuff that they're working on. I mean, they could, you could read tomorrow. They just started. It, it's an incubator almost. So, And these are all unvalued. These are liabilities when you look at the company. Yeah, they're cost. Cash perspective. It makes them look unprofitable. insane. Like, yeah. like so, this been, is what I'm getting they, at, right? Their, 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 their expense side is burdened by the cost of building the fifth largest supercomputer in the world. Yeah. <laughs> So their cars I mean, look unprofitable. This, this, little, this, this, little, this, this little side project <laughs> yeah. of Gojo. Which, which is a pilot AMD project. Intel and IBM. It's unbelievable. Which is, which is just a pilot project for the real thing, which is going to be much larger. Okay. So like, that's nuts. Yeah. That's completely bonkers. Yeah. And people are like, oh yeah, it's unprofitable. I'm like, yeah, it looks unprofitable. But I don't think you really understand the scale and scope of their innovation. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing too, aside from the data, right? And this is what I'm saying. There is no good way to compare Tesla to existing companies, especially big ones that have kind of established a market, right? No, so it's a it looks overpriced. If you look at the growth, it's right. a completely so new thing. The yeah. other interesting thing for me with Tesla is how early they are in their growth stage, right? You can say, oh, it's like a growth software company. It's like Salesforce or something. But no, 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 no. Like today, it would be like Salesforce in their third year, right, of, of existence. Mm-hmm. The market isn't even fully established. Yeah, yet. they only so made 500,000 cars last year. Yeah. 
it's which insane. is not a lot. So yeah. like, like Toyota made to ten million last year. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a that's a win. Um, but I, I look at if you want to compare it to a software company, right? Because mm-hmm. and the reason you do that is because software companies don't always have earnings to justify you know high price to earnings ratios, right? They can just be considered expensive for the amount of revenue they're making because you're building in all this growth. Yes. With yes, Tesla, exactly. like that, you can do that game with Tesla's valuation, but you always end up doing it with these very established software players, big established dude. Compare. I keep reading. I've, I've read a million articles about this, trying to mm-hmm. trying to get a number to talk about. And and this is what's crazy. You do it even if you trade it. Uh, you go to a multiple of sales, which is interesting because, you know, they trade around twenty times sales. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, every article will tell you that's insane. Facebook, Google, Apple, they all trade around 10 times. sales. Mm-hmm. So why would you pay double for, you know, but that's the wrong way to look at it because you're, you're talking about Apple, like in 2006, yeah. they're, they're so early here and people are treating them as if they're Toyota. They're not, they, they just started. This is only the beginning. It's yeah. insane. And that's just the auto piece. Yeah. There's so much growth potential in this company. There's so many avenues for growth and new yep. businesses that will that will generate growth for them. We're only really talking about the automotive and, and a little bit of the energy, which is yep. insane because we're expecting roughly similar revenue from the energy side to the automotive. Yeah. I mean, there is no valuation that can make sense. Right. I don't, exactly. I don't know how you can value the business. No, like it looks expensive in the short term, but incredibly cheap over the long term. That's the way I think about its valuation. Like $600 billion yeah, I mean, is a lot to pay for, for an auto company that makes 500,000 cars a year. But they're not sitting still yeah. at 500,000 cars a year. They will make a lot more this year. And they'll make a lot more once Berlin and the Austin Gigafactory spool up their like Y stamping presses, you know? and you think their margins are already impressive with a 26% gross, gross auto margin. You haven't seen anything yet. Like you haven't seen what FSD will do and you haven't seen the hardcore improvements that they're going to make with respect to their costs of manufacturing once they spool up the gigapresses and once they spool up this um, totally second version of the battery technology, which is the... Uh, 4680 cells. It's going to be nuts. Like just the hardware alone is going to have world beating margins, but then you layer the software on the margins on top and it's going to be like, be like to the moon type margins, like unbelievable margins. Like, like it's going to be nuts. Like I would invest in the company alone based on what I know about what their hardware margins are going to be due to manufacturing improvements, which are the hardest things to do. I would invest in the company on just that alone. But I know on top of that, there's also this other margin that's gonna come from software that is gonna just blow everything out of the water. And so that makes me even like, that that blows my mind how good that's gonna be. People are gonna say it's never gonna come. And, you know, that's also a possibility like that, that, you know, um, FSD will never come. But even if let's say like it never comes, I think it could be, it could still continuously improve in the worst case scenario to the point where let's say 50% of people decide it's useful enough in their lives to pay X amount of dollars for. Um, 
the free version of autopilot i don't know why they charge it they, they give it away to people for free like i would pay lots of money just to have the free version of autopilot it changes everything about the driving experience like you don't understand how much of a burden like it takes off of your mind and your shoulders when you're doing short road trips or long road trips or you're stuck in a little bit of traffic just to like turn on basic autopilot the free basic autopilot and just let your car manage things better than you actually like the car is better than me at keeping a proper distance between me and the other car and also it's better than me at like not getting angry when another car cuts in <laughs> too close that kind of thing and it's just like i don't know why they don't charge for it they just let give it to people for free it's built into the price of the car and you know fsd when it comes it's going to be it's going to be bonkers um yeah the other thing about it is that in terms of like just silly things you know i talked earlier about them playing on hard mode. And one aspect of it is that, you know, Tesla builds cars in Fremont, right? And it ships supplies from Fremont, all of the United States, um, and then all of, um, of all of Europe, which are its two biggest markets. If you imagine you're building cars in California, which is literally the worst place to manufacture cars, right? But then if you need to deliver that car to Europe, what you have to do is put that car on a ship and sh like ship the car to Europe and then put it on a train so that it goes to the right spot in Europe where the distribution center is. There's costs. And then also there's a European tariff for cars that are imported outside of Europe. It's a stiff tariff. And so basically Tesla has been operating in Europe, selling cars um, into it by building it in California and then shipping it and then paying all of these tariffs. And yet Tesla cars in terms of the EV market are usually the top one or two cars in a lot of Western European countries like the UK, France, Spain, even Germany. And Volkswagen has been trying to push their ID3 and their ID4 models and like literally that's Volkswagen trying to sell it to their fellow Germans. And Tesla is outselling them in Germany, even with like a hand and a leg tied behind its back by having to make it in Fremont and then ship it across the, the ocean and then paying all these tariffs. And yet people are still buying it over the ID3 and ID4. That's nuts. Like if you yeah. really think about that, that's nuts. Um, so yeah. when Tesla opens, yeah, sorry, the, when Tesla opens the Berlin Gigafactory, uh, that's kind of like back to that visual image where there's a caged beast who's just been like hampered so much and poked with sticks, and then finally it like opens up and then just goes crazy on everybody. Berlin Gigafactory is going to stomp on every European manufacturer. It's going to be nuts. You're going to be. It's going to be mm. making cars in Germany in volume. It's not going to be burdened by shipping costs across the ocean. And it's not going to be burdened with e tariffs importing cars into the EU. It's going to be selling cars at a price that most people um, in Europe can afford. And when given that kind of level playing field, the sales are going to go bonkers. It's just going to be like unfair.
like completely unfair at this point, you know? Yeah, so anyway, um, I think that um, the localization of manufacturing on every continent um, will increase the margins for the company because they've been burdened with a lot of shipping costs and tariffs that not only slow down sales, but also lower their margins. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only, you know, we're, we're both, we're obviously both pretty bullish, right? So just again, I try, I'm trying to devil's advocate a little bit, or at least straw man, some of these arguments that, that I see repeated online and, or, you know, I overhear over and over again. Right. The one that does that I do think is meaningful and, and it brings us back to BYD. Um, there is some risk in China. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I read an article, you know, the, the Chinese government accused Tesla of spying on China using cameras. There's, you know, tension between China and the United States. China's a massive market. And, and, right. uh, and again, with the only real viable competition from a battery perspective coming out of China, that's, that to me is a, is a viable threat to the business. It's not existential. Uh, and it, I don't think it derails any of the positive stuff we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, but but it could be a, a a slowing factor, a drastically slowing factor, if they have problems in China. How do you how do you see that? That's completely true. I mean, a lot of their sales right now are in China, and China itself represents a big market. Um, if anything were ever to go wrong with the you know Tesla operating in China, it's very easy for the Chinese government to apply pressure and kick, basically kick them out of the country. Um, and so I think you know. Tesla really does need to work on making sure that they can continue operating in the company and have as close to a fair pay playing field as possible. Um, I, I will say that like, you know, you heard those articles about like potentially negative things, but if, you know, I've also heard articles about potentially positive things. For example, um, the, a lot of competitors in China, like China's like such a competitive place. It's not even like competitive in sort of like the honorable competition. It's like dagger in the dark, like stab you in the back type like competition, right? And a lot, there's like some competitors in China that have literally had at the auto show, like the Beijing auto show or whatever, um, had like this, like uh, a pretend customer go up to the Tesla booth, stand in a car and make a spectacle of herself saying that, you know, her dad's car, which was a Tesla, had a brake failure, and that it, you know, Tesla's a shady company, and you should never buy a Tesla car or whatever. Um, and the Chinese authorities actually like looked into it, and it turns out that, you know, the car itself never had any brake issues, and you could see it from the telemetry data from the car itself. Basically, they were driving like maniacs, and then hit the car in front of it. And there was no braking pressure applied, but the brakes were working because literally you just see the brakes being applied even after the car accident itself. Um, and then that woman issued an apology. So, um, which of course didn't receive as much coverage as the initial negative press. But what I'm saying is that like, um, for now, I mean, I think the Chinese regulatory authorities, when you talk to them and you, you know, um, they are fairly fair um, and neutral. Um, whether or not that continues in the future, we don't know. But at the end of the day, China is such a big market that you must try to do something in there. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you're seeing Apple capitulate daily um, on, on how they need to work with China. So and it, it wouldn't surprise failure, you to see something yeah, similar. If it's a failure, it's a failure. But otherwise, like, you must try. Yeah, it's a, it's a big market. Yeah. And at the end of the day, China does need EVs. Um, and so having Tesla in there um, not only helps the EV development um, and creates jobs in China, but also um, helps China's goal of attracting more foreign manufacturers in critical industries um, that's based out of their like five-year plan. So um, yeah, it's a risk, but it's not something that's like hugely concerning there. Um, the biggest thing for me would be also like, um, you know, the, the neural nets that do auto, that full, do full self-driving, um, they're, I think, there's going to be some, there's probably going to have to be like a, a separate bucket for FSD in China, um, where the data is siloed in China. Um, and there's got to be like a Chinese version of the FSD, if that makes any sense, that Tesla's operating. Because the way yeah. driving happens in China is completely different from the way driving happens in Boston, right? Um, and so uh, there will have to be like some bifurcation of that data. Um, and like basically Tesla's probably like with the low take rates of FSD um, in China, like Tesla's probably at earlier on the data collection curve in China um, versus where they are, let's say in um, the United States and Europe where in the United States they have the most data. So if I had to like predict where FSD is gonna happen first, we're gonna see it here first um, as Americans. And then we'll have to wait a little bit later. And like a country like India is probably going to be like last on the list for uh, localization yeah. of FSD, just because it's so hard to drive there. Yeah. Um, you know what we also haven't talked about is like uh, I think the crazy future where let's say FSD uh, actually does come, and it's not like the continuous. Um, incremental like level four and a half um, FSD. It's like full-blown like level five FSD where um, the car basically indep operates independently of any human supervision. Um, there, what Tesla's talked about is um, the possibility of robo-taxis. And I think some people, you know, think that it's going to happen much sooner. Um, and some people think it'll happen like basically never. Um, I think I'm closer personally to the never side than the sooner side, <laughs> but I'm not saying it's never going to happen, but I'm going to say it's going to take longer for robo taxis to happen for Tesla than let's say 80% of the hyper bulls on Tesla believe it's going to take. Right. So like if I had to put some hard numbers on I'm it, I'm actually surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, if I put down numbers on it, I think like a hyperbole, like I'd say like 80% of hyperboles would say robo taxis before 2025. And actually I would say robo taxis, assuming that it's even possible to have a robo taxi would happen post 2025, perhaps even like closer to 2030 if it happens. So I have a much longer timeline in my mind about robo taxis. Why are you so bearish on the robo taxi? I feel like, um, um, yeah, again, but... well, I think that it's just that 
like the um, well, like the autopilot with FSD. I view it more as like uh, a continuous uh, a, pr a process of continuous improvement. It's going to get to the point where um, the FSD is driving, let's say, ten times better than a human being, and um, maybe at like fifteen times better than a human being. Most regulatory authorities would actually view um, the FSD robot driving as being a more prudent thing than humans driving, right? Um, but the fact that a car can drive, let's say 10, 15, 20 times better than a human being does not mean that um, it can solve all of the human things that we need it to do. Um, and like a robo taxi needs to solve more human things than simply um, being able to drive on the roads independently and safely, if that makes any sense. Like, um, yeah, but those other problems to solve are so much easier problems to solve than the driving one. Yeah, I mean, and I think what you're going to have to see is like a longer process of finding um, edge cases and um, maybe even like customization so that like robo taxis could be. Um, like a real full-blown mature thing, you know? And I view that process as being a much longer process than getting to the point where the car can pretty much drive on itself, be 10 times safer than a human being, that kind of thing. I think that might, that actually could happen by like 2025, 2026, something like that. And then full on robo taxis by 2030, something, if it happens. So, and then like some people are saying, oh, it's like robo taxes are gonna happen by 2023. And I'm like, that's a little aggressive. Like I'm not that hyper bullish on the development of the technology to think that, you know, we're gonna do robo taxis that early. But I might be wrong. I would be, I would love to be wrong on this, but I'm just being like overly, I think um, cautious and conservative. And I basically value robo taxis, like the revenue from robo taxis, to be zero when I try to model um, that. So I, I think yeah. about it as like a free option um, that's built into the company because it's li li like literally worth nothing. When I yeah, do, again, I mean, how do you value how do you value Dojo? Yeah, exactly. And the, you know, when you do, right. when I do, like sit down and I force myself to think about like what robo taxis could be worth, um, I get such large numbers on the spreadsheet that I like back away and I get really scared because it doesn't even sound rational, like the numbers that I see. Hmm. Um, so like- take, take, take Uber and remove all of their costs. What do you get? <laughs> yeah, and then just make it available all throughout the world, right? And- um, Yeah, exactly, instantly, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and do it much cheaper. So that way the market share um, gets much bigger. Cause like not every, like, you know, we, I think we exist and live in like a position of privilege where like either one of us could afford an Uber and, you know, we like, it, it wouldn't give us like a second thought, like, oh, we'll just get an Uber, right? But I think for a lot of people there, you know, the an Uber itself is an expensive portion and maybe not in their budget. Um, and it's because, you know, there's the cost of the car itself. There's the car cost of the, 
the, the, the, the fuel, um, but there's also the cost of like the labor. And I think the labor is the biggest portion of that. When you um, yeah, of course. remove the labor portion um, and you're also running it on cars that don't depreciate very much, like basically cars that are so durable and so sturdy that they run on electricity and like go for a million miles, no sweat, right? Um, the depreciation in that is like nothing. Um, and the electricity yeah. cost is nothing, especially if it's charging on solar. And there's no labor costs because it's just running around by itself going beep, beep. And, um, you know, you can charge like, like a very small fraction per mile um, on that type of taxi service and still make a profit. And what I'm, I'm thinking about that is that that actually changes the whole notion of car ownership it changes the whole notion of like what kinds of people can actually afford to have a robotic chauffeur take them around everywhere they want anytime they want um, and massively expands the market so it's not just uber without labor is what i'm saying it is a massively expanded uber that pretty much everyone can take like universal. I mean, you want to keep transportation. Also, you can. It's very easy to extend that too. I mean, look at. We just covered DoorDash. Like, why do you need drivers? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, there's a there's a massive address delivery market for the yeah. technology. Yeah, all of it. Pick I mean, up all my prescriptions. It. Give it to me. Like yeah. anything you I mean, need to look be at, moved. Look at the. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, there's a whole industry, logistics industry of, of, sh you know, shipping and, and all the truck driving. And then you see it with the cyber truck a little bit that kind yeah. of poking their head into the space. And the, and the Tesla, there's a semi. Tesla semi. Yeah. 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 On deck. You know, I, I like you would disintermediate <laughs> this kind of, it, it's really, you come back to the technology, like the yeah. AI that enables and the machine vision that enables that kind of functionality can displace entire industries. To me, it, it, it doesn't get more disruptive than that. And it's yeah. all gonna stem from their ability to collect data and use that data better, faster, and smarter than anyone else. And that's exactly. why it's a unique business. Exactly. And you can try to poke holes, you know, you can talk about all the different, you know, risks or uncertainties in the business, degrees of uncertainty with how they'll grow. Mm -hmm. None of that scares me at all because they're, they're, you're talking about you know, pick any part of the business that has almost infinite growth potential. And, yeah. and that I don't know any other company I've ever looked at that feels that way. I remember when I looked at Apple and and back in the day, this was, you know, after I like, I don't know how long ago, 15 years ago. And, and my roommate in college happened to have a very early kind of first gen iPod. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, like, OK, you know, if you can if you can actually build hardware that that serves, you know, interesting specific utilities like like carrying your music around or whatever it is, that that becomes a different kind of business. It's not just a computer business, right? You can you can make phones, you can make storage devices, you can make music players, you can make anything. Yeah. Now you have to start to value it as a multiple of two or three different kinds of companies. Tesla's already there. And they're all and, and like I can't even envision all the things they can possibly come up with, right? Like yeah. I was reading, you know, each of these is a rabbit hole. But I was looking into the VTOL, the vertical takeoff and landing stuff. I mean, I'm not an engineer, and I, I know I don't, I don't geek out at SpaceX launches. I occasionally I'll watch them because they're really cool. But like I'm not, I'm not deep in that. And just reading the engineering feats required to get to some of that stuff, it's just again embedded in the business. It's part of Tesla. 
It, yeah. It's incredible. If that was a startup, they would be fighting offers in Silicon Valley for funding and venture money. Yeah. So it's no, just, I, mean, I don't know point, how. On that point, uh, I'll, oh, sorry, just finish your thought, but I want to talk about the Model S plot. But yeah, keep going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Good. Go. You go. So you were talking about the technology, like the insane technology that Tesla puts into their vehicles. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Tesla had like a, a delivery event to showcase the new uh, Model S Plaid version. Like Plaid is in the hierarchy of Tesla language, like their fastest model. Like it's beyond ludicrous, right? Um, the only thing way you can go faster is Plaid. Um, and so the Plaid S, like Elon, I'm watching the event and Elon Musk is like talking about um, the, the, the motors that they had to invent um, to put into the car. It's got three motors. Um, I think two of them are exact copies of the motors that exist in the um, Model 3 and the Model Y. But like the third model, motor is this like massive motor. And um, what it does is uh, it's, it, it, it like provides continuous like massive power with no drop off, um, even at very, very high speeds. And like, I don't know if you've been in like, um, let's say a Tesla performance car or like launched in one of the older models, but like the launch is nuts. Like it like rips your eyeballs off. And the challenge is that the, the torque, the acceleration, the G-forces that you feel um, from let's say zero to 60, um, taper off when you're at the 60 miles per hour mark, like going from 60 to 100, like you feel the acceleration, but it's nowhere near like the mind numbing acceleration that you get from zero to 60. Plaid has higher acceleration, like fast, like greater acceleration from zero to 60 and maintains that pressure even after 60, like all the way up to 200 miles per hour which is bonkers. And it's doing that because, <laughs> because of this like new motor that they invented. It's this, they basically like, like they basically did something called a carbon fiber overwrap on the motor. They basically wrapped the, the rotors um, in the motor with carbon fiber sheeting at very, very high tension. And the reason why is because um, when you have a motor that's spinning at very, very high speeds, like 20,000 RPM, um, the centrifugal, like the centrifugal for forces on that are, are like 50,000 earth gravities, which is a nutty amount of earth of force. <laughs> and so the motor like spinning, a normal motor spinning at that big will basically fly apart because 50,000 earth gravities is too much to maintain the structural integrity of the motor which would be really bad. So Tesla like found a way to wrap the motor itself with carbon fiber at high tension so that it can survive spinning at 20,000 RPMs. And the not, and, and like, by the way, they invented the process of doing this. No other motor had ever existed like this before. And this, therefore there were no machines that were able to carbon overwrap at high tension. So they borrowed SpaceX engineers who have experience working with carbon fiber because they use carbon fiber all the time in SpaceX vehicles, okay? So they borrowed those guys 
to design a completely new machine that makes these motors that do something new uh, that, that's never been done before. So they had to invent the machine that makes the machine, if that makes any sense. And the nice thing, the nice thing about this carbon fiber is it's not just there to help the, the motor survive. It actually does, has a second benefit. Um, previously, electric motors that were intended to spin fast always had um, a gap, a small gap between the rotor and the stator. And um, the reason why is because they knew that the machine itself would start expanding a little bit um, at high rates of spin. And so they needed that gap there. So that way the rotor would not come into contact with the stator, which would be really bad and would cause the machine to blow up. And um, so they always had that gap. But the problem with that gap is it the air, the gap, the air in the gap like significantly lowers the strength of electromagnetic fields, which is what you're trying to like create inside an electric motor. And it, you're always leaking magnetic field flux through that air gap but there's no way to get around it. You always have to have an air gap because if it has to spin, it has to expand. But the carbon fiber overwrap minimizes the expansion even at 20,000 RPMs such that it could close the air gap, make it spin faster and still maintain extremely high electromagnetic fields in the rotor um, that don't leak through an air gap because there isn't any. So the whole thing is just brilliant engineering. And you know, Porsche Taycan, um, which is like a $250,000 car or something like that. They were like, oh, you know, our cars, even after 60 miles per hour, uh, it still has a lot of punch, a little, a lot more acceleration than, than Tesla cars do. And the reason why we solved this is we put two big motors with a gearbox, and then the gear switches to um, a larger gear uh, at the higher speed. So once you hit 120 miles per hour or something like that, there's a gearbox that switches. And then now you can maintain acceleration pressure above 120 miles per hour or something like that. So Porsche was like, ha ha. But if you think about it, that's an engineering cop-out. You're basically carrying the weight of the gearbox on the car as a weight penalty so that in case you decide to drive greater than 120 miles per hour, you could finally use the gearbox. But for all other speeds underneath that level, <laughs> it's basically this weight penalty that reduces your range. I mean, I understand the engineering, but it like, it doesn't like make sense. Do you know what I mean? It's like excessive for no good reason. But Tesla was like, We're Yeah, I don't know have... when you're gonna need to accelerate. You're, not, you're right. not, it's just bragging rights. Like, oh, this car can accelerate past 112 miles per hour and then not lose any G-forces. Okay, great, but now you're getting this weight penalty. And Tesla's like, oh, we can do this, but we're gonna do this without a weight penalty. And it's gonna blow your mind because it's now gonna create greater electromagnetic forces than you could ever could because now you have air <laughs> gaps in your standards. And then I'm like, you know, just like, just thinking, and, and, and we're going to invent a completely new machine, like, like, like a motor that's never been seen before. And we're going to completely invent a new process and a new machine, assembly machine, that will make this motor, this new motor that we have invented. 
And I just think about like the, the amount of engineering, the out of box thinking and unwillingness to sacrifice performance um, for efficiency that Tesla has as its internal culture. And I go like, that's just world beating. Like I, I can't find anything, any other engineering teams in the world that are willing to go to that kind of level of insanity just for greater efficiency, greater performance and be so utterly ruthless and uncompromising about what they're gonna do in order to achieve these things. Like it's just nuts. So, I mean, that makes me excited. Just hearing those kinds of engineering details, like, I just love it. I just go like, that's just absolutely insane. You, you like, I, I can't believe they did that. And you know, yeah. the, the, the Model S Plaid is like the fastest car, it's the fastest production car on the planet and beats the pants out of like McLarens that cost two and a half million. The Plaid, you could get it for 150,000 which sounds expensive, but like 150,000 gets you a family car that you could drive with like your kids in it and go to Costco and pick up your shopping and stuff. <laughs> and you can yeah. play Xbox style, like PlayStation 5 style level of games in the front and the back of the car and watch Netflix in it and it drives itself. Oh, and by the way, it beats the pants out of a two and a half million dollar McLaren for $150,000. Like, I like just boggles my mind. I think if he had set it for like a $300,000 car, like double the price, I think it'd still be sold out. It's such a bargain compared to everything else. Like, I don't know why I would buy, spend two and a half million dollars now to buy a car that is slower than a Tesla Model S Plaid. Like, that's just doesn't make any sense anymore. It's the death now of the internal combustion engine. Yeah, the plaid is. Uh, I'm. I was looking at the specs. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And then, like the uh, again, I don't know why is, anyone would need it, but no, you don't need it. But like, there's a lot of things in life that you don't need either. <laughs> but just make it a little spicier or a little bit more exciting, you know. Um, and then for that type of person, like this thing is an absolute bargain. It's. Um, it, it it is absolutely insane to drive. So, and the, the crazy thing is Tesla put a lot of engineering effort into this thing, but the Model S um, volumes, um, even if they sell like $100,000 a year, like are dwarfed in comparison to the revenue that's brought in by the, um, the cheaper models, which are the, um, the three and the Y. And um, uh, I think uh, as, you know, things go forward, like, I, I can't, it's, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, somebody else putting the same kind of like intensity um, and continuous improvement into the hardware of their cars that Tesla does. Um, like, I remember watching a video with this guy, his name is Sandy Monroe. He's an automotive consultant. What he does is he, like, he, he tears down cars bit by bit and produces these like research reports for competitive analysis for automotive OEMs. That's his business, right? I remember he um, he tore down a Model 3 and then two years, a 2018 Model 3. And then two years later, he he like uh, tore down a 2020 Model 3, something like that. And um, uh, 
what he saw was that the parts in the Model 3 from 2020 were like way different and um, completely reorganized and much more cheap and efficient, but also powerful at the same time. And so like in two years, Tesla had done like thousands of design changes and was probably like doing them like on a weekly basis without ever stopping the production line. Um, but meanwhile, like automakers are locked into this like one year production cycle where there's a model and then you make it all the same way. And then it's only like you save all your changes for like the next model, but that has to come out in the next year, you know? And then like, it's not this process of continuous refinement. It's just like locked into these one year cycles. And when an automaker needs to make a new whole new platform with a drivetrain and like chassis or whatever, it takes them seven years. Uh, meanwhile, like Tesla can get it done in like a year and a half and then come out with something absolutely nuts like the, the Plaid Model S. And, you know, when you're fight, fight, fighting an opponent that has moves much faster than you, like it's very, very hard to defeat that opponent. Like that kind of speed, um, the way that they adapt, the way that they evolve, if those cycles are much faster than you, there's no way you're going to catch up. And so I think like it's going to be very difficult for other manufacturers to really make um, a dent in the technological leads that uh, Tesla have, has with respect to powertrain um, performance, um, the efficiency and range, um, and also most importantly, the cost of their cars. Like Tesla's relentlessly um, driving down the cost of their cars. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's why I'm bullish on this company. <laughs> so you're a, you're a hard sell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm actually uh, I, I'm buying. Um, so my my goal is to get to a certain number of shares, and um, I'm probably eighty percent of the way there. Um, um, and uh, yeah, I just got to keep uh, putting some money in there to get to the the that one hundred percent of that target goal. Yeah. Uh, okay. How, how many Teslas? How many more Teslas do you think you're gonna buy? Um. Well, uh, I'm definitely I, like I'm not the type of guy who would buy a Cybertruck just because I'm not a truck guy. Um. But I think you know we have two Teslas right now: a Model S from 2016 and a um, Model Three from 2018. Um. I've been thinking about the X actually. The um, and if we're going to go with the X, I'm probably going to have to make it plaid, like a plaid Model X. Um, yeah, so I course. think maybe, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think maybe like <laughs> one more. Yeah. And at this point, like, I'm so happy with the car that I can't imagine like buying anything else than a Tesla. I mean, I'm opening to, I'm open to like, um, you know, playing around and looking at other, what other people are bringing. And of course, if it's like something is like much, much better. Um, I would love to see that um, because that could be a potential uh, investment opportunity. Um, and, um, but yeah, like for the foreseeable future, like I'm so happy with the cars that um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much like locked in as a customer. I feel yeah, very you much- just let me know once you do the, once you solar your roof too. I'm curious how that'll- Yeah, I think we're gonna integrate. remodel the house and then um, put in a solar and, and then the batteries. So um, I feel very much the same way, like with um, Tesla that I do Apple. Um, I think it's a close comparison. 
Um, Apple sells you like hardware, which is the um, phones. Um, but on top of it, they've grown this like amazing software service business. Like, you know, they'll charge you for storage on your phone. You know, they'll charge you for, oh, they'll charge you, they take, they, they take a cut of fees anytime they buy, you buy anything on the app store. Um, you know, they have now these like recurring subscriptions that they're selling you. Um, and they just kind of like lock you in to the point where, you know, you upgrade every like one year or two years or three years, what have you. And it's pretty much easy to like, just choose Apple every single time. Um, and I yeah. think like Tesla's like very much, um, the same way. Yeah. There's going to be, I think a lot of brand loyalty there. Do you have a, is it worth asking if there's a target price or where, where you're watching it or are you just consistently buying anytime you can? I'm, uh, I, uh, recently I was consistently buying whenever it fell below, um, the 600 mark. So in the 500s, um, and then I slowed down my purchases after it perked up above 600 because I think it's trading around 670, 680 right now. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think about whether or not I should be buying more at this range or wait to see if it comes below, back into the 500 level. Um, I think the if in the short term, it, I think it's going to be hard for Tesla to like jump up a lot this year in 2021. Um, it had a massive year in 2020. Um, and I think most of the market that doesn't understand or maybe does understand and is just waiting for a lot of these things that we talked about today um, to happen um, is just letting it trade in a range. So I think I, I can't see Tesla doing like a significant move this year. Um, so it might trade somewhere between like say $400 a share to um, $900 a share, something like that, you know, but it's not going to like six mm. X like it did in 2020. Like that would be nuts. You know? Um, is that because you don't think there's a particular event? Like I, I could see yeah. early announcement, you know, if you're talking about a 12 month range, I could see an early announcement of, you know, uh, of nine or, or, you know, maybe a city or a few tier one cities get city driving as part of FSD. I could see, yeah, the new Gigafactory starting to crank out cars like that. That would put a multiple on there. Yeah, you? I'm thinking about the calendar year 2021. So like I'm thinking I was thinking about it in terms of the next six months till December 2021. Um, and um, I, I think just in the year calendar year 2021, there are not um, a huge amount of catalysts that could break. Uh, that I could foresee breaking Tesla out of that that trading range of let's say four hundred to nine hundred dollars per share. Um, the um, but what you did mention was that you know early release and surprising everybody um, about FSD um, version nine beta being released and it blowing everybody's minds and people suddenly realizing that oh shit, robo-taxis are actually a lot closer than we think. Or at minimum, not robo-taxis, but like the take rate and revenue recognition of FSD itself is about to like shoot up. That I think would begin to like make some people in the markets understand the massive amount of impact 
that um, FSD will have. Right now, they like, I think most market participants are like, oh, it's all scam. It's not gonna happen. Nobody's ever gonna buy FSD. And like, it, it, it's, it's just like Waymo is better. And I'm like, I listen to all those things and it's nonsense, but that also means that like, it's not priced into the stock. I think that, you know, there's a re if there's a, if, if that were to be released and the market begins to get a glimmer of like, what's, what that's about to do to like take the financials, the margins to the moon um, and rake in a lot of cash. Uh, I think they would get a substantial re-rating and I think Tesla would, would easily trade above a thousand dollars per share. Um, how much more? I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I could totally see that. Um, I think the other thing that would be a catalyst would be that um, if the, the two factories um, in Texas and in Berlin um, uh, develop faster than anticipated. Right now, like if you read the reports in Q1, um, they're anticipating that the factories will be finished by the, um, the end of 2021. So that means then that it wouldn't begin to produce any cars in any meaningful amounts until the first quarter of 2022, right? So I think the market like is saying like, oh, you know, there could be a lot of delays. There's new manufacturing processes that they're trying to do. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not going to put a lot of like uh, emphasis on that kind of stuff. But if it were to, you know, accelerate um, beyond what the market anticipates, I think you could see the stock um, re-rate upwards um, and put the pressure up to making it trade closer to a uh, thousand, if not above a thousand dollars per share. Um, yeah, when you, in a situation like this, you know, you, you can wait and maybe save yourself a couple bucks of basis, you know, just to try to snag it as it dips, maybe it goes into the mid 500s or even the 400s and you can get yourself a bargain. But if you're long on this stock and, and you're seeing it in the thousand plus range by, I don't know, 2025, right? Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you, you can, you, you'd end up foolish sitting on the sidelines watching it rise where there's, exactly. and I agree with you, by the way, plenty, plenty more reasons why it'll go down in the near term versus mm -hmm. go up. Like it would really, it would take a surprise, uh, like you just said, for it to pop. Yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't take a surprise for gradual realization uh, for people to, to understand the methods of revenue here. And you can yeah. just start to see more and more people buying into the stock and raising the price. And, you know, you missed out because you wanted to save a couple bucks of basis points when you saw the long term here <laughs> exactly. that it was going to be very valuable business. Exactly. Yeah, I, so, I like, I, sometimes I, the yeah. market is anticipatory, right, and starts bidding the price up um, with the realization that something's about to happen. Um, and so, like, the the, the 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 price could move way out of the, your buying range if you're trying to slowly accumulate. Um, and at that point, like, I agree with you, like, you know, like, sometimes it's just, like, the value investor in me says, oh, you know, you don't want to buy with a six handle, you want to buy with, like, five handle. So just be patient and, like, accumulate when it's in the five handle, the 500s. Better yet, in the 400s, right? Um, and that's, like, the, like everybody likes a bargain. Um, but but in the long run, you know, if Tesla hits the things that we, that we talked about in here, like, 
buying in the 400 range versus the 500 range versus the 600 range is not going to make a difference. Like that, not much of a difference. Like it's like, like a basis point or two in your eventual results. Right. Like it's not going to be, it's just makes right. you feel better in the short term that you got a price at it, like a slightly lower price than what it was a few days ago, that kind of thing. But in the long run, if yeah. it does, if it is a monster like that we've been talking about, it's not going to matter whether you bought in the fours, hundreds, five hundreds, six hundreds. The, the, the yeah, important I mean, thing this, was this to buy to in the like, first place. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. This this is one of those examples where, you know, and, and I don't dollar cost averaging or whatever, just recurring investment. Like this is the kind of company, at least from now until I can't, and there are, there are, I'm sure, scenarios that would change my mind. But I think mm-hmm. you know we we both been pretty pretty bullish on this pod. I I this is the kind of situation where you should just be buying shares on a regular basis if you have a long term view that's this optimistic, uh, with this many options for additional growth. There's just no reason to not start accumulating shares at any price. Uh, you know, even if it starts to run up. I don't know. And I don't usually recommend that. It's not like I would do that. for. Yeah. I, I feel uncomfortable for, for saying that. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really yeah, uncomfortable saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, I mean, if you do hold if, that view. Yeah. Like I, I, the, the, I, for me, like it, it is actually like, um, um, difficult psychologically to, to purchase significant amounts of shares at this level, because I think when I first started, I was, uh, cherry picking, trying to buy Tesla when it was below 50 billion in market cap. And I think most of my purchases were, I was trying to get in the, when it was a 30 billion market cap. And I was just like, in those times, like Tesla was only selling the model S and the model X, the model three was a dream. And a lot of people said it was never going to make the model three. And, you know, there were a lot of hiccups trying to get the model three ramped up. I think we had some like, terse email exchanges where I was starting to get worried that like the model three was going to not ramp up and the company was going to go down, you know? Um, and Tesla was worth like 30 or $50 billion at that point. And to be honest, that's very expensive for a company that only makes the S and the X and no three. And the Y hadn't even been announced at that point, you know? So Tesla's always looked expensive, but when I was thinking about buying Tesla, like, 30 to $50 billion market caps. I was looking ahead and I was thinking about where the three would take them. And I was realizing it should be in the $500 billion range, just from what I thought about a future product like the three. And today it's not in the 500 billion range, it's the 600 billion range. So it's a little higher than I thought, but they also have the Y now. And I think Tesla looks expensive to most people just like the way Tesla looked expensive to me when I was buying it between 30 and $50 billion. And I think it's very easy on first glance to think that at 600 billion, more than, which is more than all of the other automakers market caps, that it's a very expensive company. And maybe you're right, but in my opinion, no, it's actually quite cheap. Like it, I'm going to continue to buy. Like I am gonna keep adding to my shares because it is a really, it still feels like a very good opportunity. And sometimes I worry that I've like, I've lost my mind or I, I'm like drunk, like some sort of Kool-Aid or something like that. And I've gone insane because I'm a value investor and like, why am I buying this company? But I just, 
I, like I take a moment, I take a deep breath, and I review my notes, and I look over the the, the where what what I think they're going to be they're doing right now, and what I think they're going to be headed in the future, and I go like, yeah, okay, I'm not crazy, like you know, so, but sometimes I have to do that because like the PE ratios and then the, the price to sales ratios and their market caps and like the comparative valuations with other manufacturers and the blah, 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 all make it look like uh, it's like way too expensive. Um, and that's like some sort of bubble, but yeah, that's where that's where my head is at. Maybe I am crazy, but uh, um, I'm continuing to add, yeah. I love it, I love it. Well, it sounds like uh, we're both a hard sell. We have no interest in this company. Avoid <laughs> exiting, at all costs. Exiting tomorrow. No. <laughs> <laughs> exiting. <laughs> exiting. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's an awesome company. And I feel like it's, you know, they've they've built a reputation of, of uh, they've got an amazing brand. They've built a reputation of exceeding expectations over and over and over again. Everything from engineering to product to design. I mean, it's, yeah, Apple's probably the closest comp, and this this does feel again the, the the big one for me is just how early we actually are in their growth. It, it, this is not like yeah. Tesla fully actualized within the next no. couple of years. I mean, you're I mean, just at the beginning, and that that does make it very exciting. Yeah, those factories, like you you, I think you'll see them fully in action in 2022, 2023, and it's gonna be like bonkers. Yeah, completely bonkers in terms of their volume growth. And if they well, hopefully, nail uh, 4680 battery cells, um, that's also going to help their margins. And if they increase the take rate on FSD, it'll transform everything about what their financial statements look like. And like people will be like, oh, I didn't realize that this could happen, but because blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it's like right there. It's staring you right in the face. Like you could make a spreadsheet it is not that hard. Um, so, so yeah, we'll have to see. I think uh, 2023 is the, um, the next kind of like big check-in point on this thing where I would feel like, okay, I got to hit, see some milestones with respect to the factories um, and yeah. uh, FSD. Um, but I think I'm going to be in these shares for a while. Like I'm, my, my, my game plan is to accumulate to a certain point um, and then, um, hold them to 2030 and then um, evaluate from there. So I'll be uh, pretty old once this time capsule journey hits that milestone point. But, uh, well, you know, I'll be along for the ride with you, my friend. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So I guess we're both deciding to continue to buy this thing. I don't know, I don't know if there was much of a debate at this point, but yeah. Uh, no, there's good. nothing. You know, you can pretend, but there's nothing to talk about there. <laughs> I'll just say maybe we revisit this. Uh, I don't know, 2023, 2025. You know, to see where things are, and maybe we end up uh, cracking the Tesla tequila together when we buy our Model Ys. Yes, yes, a, that would be <laughs> Model Y plaid. That would be exciting, um, or, or the Roadster. <laughs> Uh, or a Cybertruck, depends on what we've, they've got at that point. I, I'm also not a truck guy, but I, I kind of love the Cybertruck, man. I know. I hated cool. it. I hated the Cybertruck the first time it came on. I was like, should I be selling my shares? I hate this truck. Two weeks later, I was like, oh, I'm getting used to this look. And all other trucks look like they were made in the 1800s, you know, with steam engines. They yeah. look completely outdated. Yeah. Yeah, the problem is both of their glasses will break when you throw things at them. So that's 
unfortunately. Yeah. If you throw like, what is it? A 20 pound steel ball and hit, <laughs> hit it with a hammer several times. Yeah. That's definitely yeah, going to yeah, cause some damage. Right in the right spot. It'll a, break. Yeah, that <laughs> to was, a cyber that truck. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great reveal. Was, All right, Gil. Uh, this was, this is great. I, I think uh, nice to have consensus. Um, love this company. Uh, and to be honest, you know, we don't, Prior to the pod, we haven't had the opportunity to talk that much uh, about stocks, which we used to do all the time. Uh, and this was kind of uh, a re-entry point for, for us. So uh, yeah. a little sentimental on the Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have a good night. I'll catch you later. Take it easy, my friend. Bye.